They are old school, but their sales are up. Why are mechanical pencils one of the top-selling items at airport newsstands? What animal has the largest population on Earth? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp. Chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Well, Marcia, if I knew the largest population of creatures on yeah. Earth, that gives me a different perspective on life, doesn't yes. it? Yes. What animal has the largest population on Earth? The largest population on Earth? I would think it would be an insect of some type. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. You got more than one that you can give well, me? Well, I was going to give you number one and number two. Okay. I, I would think you would guess number two right off the top of that little head of yours. Okay. <laughs> number two, I would say, are mosquitoes. Ah, no. Okay. Think again. I don't know why. My M nemesis. Think of the backyard. Bees. No. Why? And those sand mounds in the oh, ground. Oh, ants. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's number two. There are one million billion ants which boils down to one million ants per person on Earth. Oh, dear. <laughs> That's not a good thought. No, but the number one is called the krill. The no, krill. Not the one that's on Star Trek, but <laughs> they are a small shrimp-like crustacean of the open seas and are eaten by larger animals, mainly baleen whales. But anyway, they're estimated to be around five trillion krills. Wow. I don't know if you'd call it a fish, but it is an animal and it lives in the sea. Okay. Okay. Five trillion. Somebody counted them, Bob. Five trillion. Oh, <laughs> there's one missing. It's four trillion, 999. Okay. Wow. Okay. They're old school, but their sales are up. So why uh, are mechanical pencils well, one of the top items selling at newsstands at airports these days? Well, let me think. Why not? Is it, and is this it, has been happening for the past 10 years or so. Really? Well, because you can erase it and people are rethinking or uh, what they're writing. Those are, those are two absolutely important qualities when you're engaged in this particular activity. Well. What's the activity? The activity that's... Is writing. What kind of writing? What kind of writing? Here, let me help you. It's, <laughs> it's a game. It's a game. Oh, are people playing like Scrabble or word games? Sudoku. <laughs> Sudoku. Sudoku. It's S-U-D-O-K-U. I don't know. I say Sudoku. You say... <laughs> That's what they're doing. That's what the experts are saying. That and other old school puzzle games have stimulated sales of mechanical pencils. And in the 21st century, they've become one of the top selling items at airport newsstands. Now... Mechanical pencils are definitely old school. Uh, most people use pens to write or they tap on their, you know, phones and text things. Sudoku was born in 1984, but since 2005, CNN proclaimed it a craze and the number of airline passengers who occupy their time during flights with it and other manual puzzles yeah. has skyrocketed, to use a term that is a yes. pun. Yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating. I should have thought of that. You know, like cryptograms that I do. People use pencils for that all the time. Not me. My claim to fame is I do it in ink. Well, planes <laughs> don't that. come equipped with pencil sharpeners, so people want something that they can keep putting the lead out there. Yes. 
And get the lead out. Yes, <laughs> I like it. Thank you for that. Chalk this up to Marsha's Obscure Trivia Day, okay? Okay. All right. Can you name, Bob, any of the top dumbest animals in the world? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like doing this because somebody always owns one and they're really upset. Okay. Well, So I'll just not, uh, say, gee, I can't think of well, any, Well, it's not domestic animals oh. here, so you won't offend anyone we know. Are they like aardvarks or something like that? Yeah, they're not on the list, though. There is a barnyard animal here. The turkey is considered pretty stupid. At well, yes, number two. that's true. You know what number one is? No. The panda bear. Oh, that's uh, so cute. I know, cute but stupid. And then I don't know what a jaroba is, do you? J-E-R-O-K. No, I thought that was something you wore to bed. Yep. A jaroba. <laughs> and then the gobbling shark, the sloth, a koala, another adorable stupid thing. And... Kakapoo and cane toads. They all failed the IQ test in the animal kingdom. I'm sorry to hear that a shark, which I would hope would be smart if it's going to eat me, is stupid. Well, this is the goblin shark, which I personally have not heard of. But No, me neither. The <laughs> goblin shark. Yeah, it comes out at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Say, did you hear about the uh, new CDC warning? It might sound silly after a year of solemn warnings. The latest bulletin from the Centers for Disease Control warns people against kissing chickens. Oh, no. Did you hear that? No, we can't kiss chickens No, now? you can't. Oh, Marsh, I know you like doing Jeez, that. it's always something. It is a serious warning, though. I've heard people making fun of this. And it has nothing to do with the coronavirus. But as the website Mental Floss puts it, the temptation to snuggle a chicken is apparently too strong for some poultry owners. <laughs> and that's why they're being advised to avoid displays of affection. I knew salmonella could be spread by eating food, but... There have been 163 cases of salmonella poisoning reported in 43 states, and they've been linked to backyard chicken coops where wow. touching, petting, or kissing a baby chicken carries the risk of contracting the bacteria. And it's no fun when you get it. It can cause diarrhea and fever in human beings. Salmonella could be on their feathers, beaks, feet, and droppings. Ah. So don't touch a chicken or their eggs or anything in their environment, and then put your fingers in your mouth. Okay. As of today... As Consider it done. <laughs> All right. And don't eat or drink around them, they say, either. Really? Yeah, because that it's stuff could be in the in air. In the air. Yeah. Oh, boy. Here's something out of Reader's Digest. Pay it forward. You know what that is, Bob. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It happens to us in the Starbucks line sometimes. Every once in a while, somebody in front yeah, of us will buy our expensive coffee. And more often than not, unless I look back and see 50 people in the car behind us, I say, yeah, we'll pay for theirs. <laughs> <laughs> I have my limits. But anyway, there's a Dairy Queen in uh, Brainerd, Minnesota. And sometimes they say that chain of giving, passing it on, can go on for 20 cars. Oh, my God. Yes. But this last December, you know, during the holidays and the pandemic, the nonstop continuous chain of passing on free ice cream, this is at a Dairy Queen, mm-hmm. uh, to strangers lasted, Bob, for roughly how many cars? Well, it went on for longer than 10 or 20 cars? Yeah. If it made Reader's Digest, think big. Well, okay, let's say 150 cars. Yeah, that's big. 900 cars. Oh, no kidding. It went on for over two days. People bought $10,000 worth of ice cream for strangers. Where was this again? In Brainerd, Minnesota at a Dairy Queen. In Minnesota in winter, people buying ice cream at drive-ins. And 900 cars over two days. That's amazing. What, are they open 24 hours? Or Uh, they just held on to one and opened up the next day and said, the car last night bought you this? Who knows? Yeah, but... uh, 
That's a great. I thought it was fascinating. That is a great one. I had no idea that would happen in a cold climate in the winter. Yeah, that's the thing <laughs> that, that gets me. That's it. <laughs> wow. All right, Marcia, you're a writer. I'm a writer, and we know writers who have had attempts to write books, and there's an awful lot of rejection when you're a writer, whether you're a script writer or a book writer or whatever. This author's first book was rejected 27 times until, by accident, he ran into an old friend on the street. What famous author's first book was rejected 27 times? It's not what you know, it's who you know, right? Uh, Want a hint? Yes. Okay, he became probably the most famous children's author of all time. Seuss? Dr. Seuss. Yeah, his first book, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street, was rejected 27 times until one day when the author was walking down Madison Avenue in New York City, he ran into a former classmate who'd just been named juvenile department editor at a publishing house. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Going to dink. And the rest is history. Wow. Oh, that's good. But I thought that would, uh, if there are any writers listening, they can take heart that uh, sometimes it, even the best people, it takes a long time to get started. Well, I'll jump ahead to my book story. What famous character, Bob, in the Charles Dickens story had first draft names of Puny Pete, Little Larry, and Small Sam? <laughs> what, what name did this famous character... Now, think of those three names. What Puny Pete. La- Little Larry and Small Sam. So what it's a name d- diminutive did- person. It would be Pip, maybe? Well, think it's also... Tiny Tim? That's it. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, because he used alliteration and diminutive. So uh, So what were they again? What was Tiny Tim originally called? Puny Pete, <laughs> Little Larry, and Small Sam. Oh, all those are bad compared to Tiny Tim. <laughs> Tiny Tim, that's oh. so funny. Hey, Puny Pete. <laughs> hey, speaking yeah. of characters, I've got one like that too, okay? All right. These authors had an unusual name for their male character, and they only changed it when their publisher objected Who were they and what did their character become? It's another children's book. The character was very curious. Was it George? Yes. But listen to this. Margaret and H.A. Ray came up with this curious boy monkey. Today we know him as Curious George, but his original name was Fifi. (laughs) Or or Fi-Fi. I don't know. It's spelled F-I-F-I. It's Fifi. To the I, it looks like Fifi. Can't imagine calling a boy character Curious Fifi, could you? (laughs) Neither could the publisher, so they changed the name to Curious George. Oh, well, okay. What do writer Edgar Allan Poe and singer Jerry Lee Lewis have in common? Edgar Allan Poe and Jerry Lee Lewis? Something very specific. I mean, not, you know, love They both played the piano with their feet? Was that it? (laughs) You're getting close. A whole lot of shaking going on it's back there. It's something very distinctive that we think of Jerry Lee Lewis. Both alcoholics? Uh, both for, married their cousins. 13-year-old cousins. Oh, my God. They both married their 13-year-old cousins. <laughs> oh, dear. And as an aside, Poe was expelled from West Point Military Academy for turning out for a public parade wearing only his white belt and gloves. <laughs> <laughs> He was a strange he dude, was a, wasn't he? Was he was a little Dickens, wasn't he? <laughs> wow, that is funny. Oh. Okay. All right, I've got kind of a fun one here. How right. did an unbelievably rude waiter influence the art of puppetry? An unbelievably <laughs> rude waiter influenced the art of puppetry in our time. In our time? Yeah. He was a waiter at a bar in New York City. Well, you got me there, Bob. One day, one of his outbursts uh, amused two customers sitting in the tavern. 
Yes. One was named Jim. One was named John. Jim Henson, yes, the creator of The Muppets. And John Stone, who was TV director for a new show called Sesame Street. And they were so amused by this unbelievably rude man that he inspired a character and a puppet. The Grouch. That's right, a Grouch. They named Oscar after the New York City establishment where he worked, Oscar's Tavern. Oh, in really? New York. Oh, that's cute. Oh. That's how Oscar the Grouch was born. Okay. How much, Bob, of the ocean is unexplored? What percentage? Oh, I'd say most of it, because, I mean, there's some of these canyons are seven miles deep. And they've only sent bathyscopes and those kinds of devices down there in the past, I'd say, you know, 40 years. So I would say something like 80% of the oceans. Oh, my God, you nailed it. Is it? 80% of our oceans are unmapped, unobserved, and unexplored. Isn't that amazing? Yep. That just shows you how many adventures there are left for the human race to explore. Yeah, that is. And I have my next question follows off that. Ocean exploration continued even during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And last year, the Schmidt Ocean Institute went 2,000 feet down in the Indian Ocean with a robot exploring a canyon. And they happened upon a fantastical, loosely coiled creature suspended that they call the Siphon 4. The At, Siphon 4? Yeah, the Siphon, P-H-O-R-E 4, okay. which is believed to be the longest animal ever discovered. How long do you think it was? So <laughs> it uncoiled, apparently, then. Or they did deductive reasoning with how big and wide it was. So I'll say 100 feet long. That'd be very long. That'd be very long. But it was well over 150 feet oh, in length. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Try to picture that. <laughs> they say it's just an example of what lies deep below, and we are slowly able to observe through better technology. The siphomore is a bioluminescent and creates its own light. When it bumps against something, its stem glows with a bright blue light. Can wow. you believe that? Some parts of the animal catch prey, some parts of the animal reproduce, and the other swims. <laughs> some parts of it reproduce? Yeah. You mean some parts of it keep growing and the other parts of yeah. it don't? I, I, I didn't uh, delve into it, but that's exactly how the oceanographers describe wow, it. Wow, that's strange. 150 feet in length, though. If that doesn't give you the heebie-jeebies, I don't know what will. Okay, I've got a good one here. What's the oldest rose in the world? The rose, the flower? Tell me, Bob. It's called the thousand-year-old rose. (laughs) It's true, and it's got a remarkable story. It's the rose of Hildesheim, and it grows on the wall of the Catholic Hildesheim Cathedral in central Germany. They think it's been there for a thousand years. They know it's been there for hundreds of years because they've seen old etchings and old pictures of it. Back to King Louis the Pious at Hildesheim in 815. It climbs the wall of the cathedral's apse. It's commonly known as the wild dog rose, a rose canina. It's about uh, wow, 69 feet high, 30 feet wide. It totally covers. Uh, 69 foot rose? Well, the rose bush, you know, yeah, the, the but plant. Yeah, still, that's... The rose bush, the rose bush, yeah. Yeah. But the most amazing part of this is the cathedral was destroyed by Allied bombers in 1945 during World War II, but the roots of the rose bush survived. It started growing out of the rubble and kept growing, and they rebuilt the church, and it grows right up the side of the Um, church again. Very cool. Nature finds a way. Yeah, the oldest rose in the world. There are pictures of it online. It's this huge, big rose bush. What's that line from, Bob? Nature finds a way. I don't know. Jurassic Park movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
I hope nothing happens like that at St. Michael's Church. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. All right, we're back with the off-ramp. Bob and Marcia Smith. Marcia, in the mid-1960s while filming Star Trek, mm-hmm. actor Leonard Nimoy was asked by a TV director to improvise something for an episode. What did he improvise, and where did he get the idea? Oh, oh no, that was Shatner did that kiss, the first interracial kiss. So, all right, he, this guy... This is, in, he played Mr. Spock. Yes, I know. And what he, was his it, famous thing he would say? Uh, live, live long and prosper. And what did he do when he said that? He held his fingers up with that. Oh, did he do that? Yeah, I, palm facing out with the yeah. fingers separated into a V shape. Where did he get that? I don't know. He thought back to his youth, uh-huh. and he reproduced an obscure rabbinical blessing he remembered seeing, a hand gesture that a rabbi used in synagogue. I'll be darned. That's no where kidding. he got it, from his synagogue <gasps> days Spock, as a kid. Spock in the synagogue. Who would have guessed? Isn't that funny? <laughs> That's a great, uh, great factoid. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Bob, the brightest star in our night sky is called Sirius, which is closer than most stars at 8.6 light years away. I've it, been there. Oh, <laughs> did they have a drive-through Starbucks yes, or they anything? Did. Okay, good. Then I'll go. I got. Uh, I paid for ice cream for the Zoids <laughs> behind me. <laughs> if it burned out tomorrow, Bob, how long would it take us to know about it? Oh, that's a good question. So eight. What did you say? It's eight light years away. Eight point six light years away. Okay, so it's going to take a lot longer than that because a light year we can't even travel that fast. So I would say two or three hundred years. No, a decade. Oh, 10 years. Yeah. 10 years for us to know. Yeah, I thought it would have been more too, but it takes 10 years for the light to get here and then 10 years for us to figure out it's not shining anymore. That's interesting. That's a long, long way away. It is. Okay, Marsha, I have a question for you. In most TV commercials as well as print ads, what's usually the time? Uh, 30 or 60 seconds. No, no. What's usually the time if you see a time on a clock or a watch? What's the time when you see that in most TV commercials or print ads? I don't understand the okay. question. Okay, if you look at it, an ad for a watch, yes. what oh. time is it? Oh, is it usually the same? Is it like 12 noon no. or 12? No. no. 2 o'clock, 3 no. o'clock, 4, no, think, 5? This makes sense if you think about it. It's 10-10. It's 10 after 10. Because, because that is... Totally symmetrical, uh-huh. and it leaves room in the middle for the logo or, oh, or the... Oh, of course. How silly. Of course I should have thought of that. It's the best way to center or, and uh, showcase logo. a logo and a manufacturer's 10, name. 10-10. I will watch for that in the next clock commercial. And that's why 10-10 has been the time in advertising whenever you done. see it for almost a century. No kidding. Watches, Where did clocks. you find that little... That came from Who Knew, a book called Who Knew oh. by David Hoffman. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Okay. okay. Marcia, you, every once in a while, we'll flip on TV and you'll click by Dancing with the Stars, you know? You see that everybody looks so good on that show. Everybody, all the contestants have such great skin tone. How do they get that, Marcia? Well, the lighting. That's what I would think, too. Yeah. The lighting. Yeah, yeah. And they can put filters on the cameras. No, it's not the lighting, it's not the filters on the camera, and it's not because they've been sunning on the beach. It is because. To get those deep, dark colors, the Caucasian celebrity contestants on Dancing with the Stars are applied with five layers of spray tan. Oh, God, five layers. Well, wait, we're not done yet. Followed by a hand buff stain, a bronzer, and a final dusting, of course, of glitter. Oh, they must have to 
clean off for days. It takes 45 minutes to do all that, and then they're ready for the camera, and then they better dance. <laughs> What's wrong with just uh, if you're white and, you know, some people look almost pearlescent. They're so white, you know, that... Uh, no, uh, you gotta have spray you tan. You gotta have tan. Five layers that plus. That is so stupid. <laughs> All right. All right, and then they have chiclet teeth, right? And, oh, God, and it's just scary. They oh, look scary. Marcia, well, Marcia, Marcia. All right. Can you name, Bob, the only novel to top the best sellers list for two consecutive years? Really? There's only one novel that's done this? Yeah, for two years in a row. I'll give you the years to help you. Okay. 72 and 1973. 72 is 1972. Yeah. And 1973. Okay. okay. I thought maybe it was 1672. No, that would be that centuries. 1972. This what was, was the that... big novel? Was it The Exorcist? No. Was it uh, I wanted to guess this. Rosemary's Baby? Were those books before they were? I don't I don't believe I remember ever reading this. I'd okay. be curious if you did. It was certainly popular. Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Oh, yeah, I read that. By Richard Bach. What was, was it a, about? It was a very thin little book. Yeah. And it was the story of this seagull, and it was kind of a uh, homily. I mean, it was one of those, uh, you know, it, it tells a story, but there's a bigger message to it about life. Oh, okay. And what it was, I can't remember. Okay. But it was very, very popular. Everybody was reading yeah, it. Yeah, I know they were. I just, was like I was busy reading. The, I'm okay, you're okay if it's time, uh, you know, okay. something like that. You were reading that in 72. I was reading The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. No, you so. were reading that, uh, what was that? Uh, the Group, that's what you were reading. No. That no. sick group. <laughs> okay. Porno book. Okay, I've got uh, another question about a TV star. Okay. Okay. What kind of a bird? I never thought about this before. What kind of a bird was Big Bird? What kind of a bird? He was a uh, uh, yellow-tail cockatoo. No, he wasn't a cockatoo. Uh, He was a chicken. No, he wasn't a chicken. He was a very tall rooster who fell in a vat of yellow paint. I don't know. Tell me. Okay. He was a canarich or an osteray. Oh. He was a cross between an ostrich and a canary. Yeah. That's funny. He was eight feet, two inches tall, so he couldn't be a canary itself, you know. And uh, But he was a canary because of his big, bright color. Um, But he told everybody on the show he was a... Golden condor, which was a fictional bird species. That's funny. But you could say he's a turkey. You know why? Because Big Bird's original costume was made up of 4,000 white turkey feathers dyed bright yellow. No kidding. Yeah. Real feathers. Real feathers for the original Big Bird. I should have got the ostrich part because we're always looking at the big ostrich here puppet in in your studio. Yes, uh, yes. I've got an ostrich puppet here. Yes. And uh, I should have thought of Big Bird as that. Okay. In 1900, Bob, Mm -hmm. Americans voted the Bible as their favorite book. Okay. What came in at number two? What was the second book? It's something you would know. It's not. Was it Dr. Spock's Child Care? 1900? I don't think he went back that far. Oh, not 1900. I'm sorry. Was it a Jules Verne book? No. Was it, um, hmm, what, can you tell me the type of book? It wasn't a novel. It wasn't a novel. It was a history book. No. It was a nonfiction book. It was, uh, I don't know how to I, describe this. I don't this. know. What it was, it? here, I'll give you a big clue. Ready? It was a catalog. Oh, it was the Montgomery Ward catalog. No. Sears Robot catalog. It. Yeah. That was the number two, <laughs> two book. Yeah. After the, their favorite book, they voted on the Bible and the Sears Robot catalog. Oh, that's so funny. That is. That's funny. And, uh. 
I never thought of it as a book because it's a periodical. Yeah, it's a I publication. Have, yeah. I wouldn't have said that either, but the Americans wrote it down as a number two favorite book. So, you know, they weren't into fiction or nonfiction apparently much. I got a question for you. You know, we watch TV and we still occasionally watch NBC and they still do that boom, boom, boom. Yeah. You know, can you tell me, do those three musical notes have any significance? Well, aren't they... I do, do, aren't they ACB or something on the piano? What would that be? Bom, bom, I mean, what significance would that have? Oh, that's their call letters. NBC? There's an oh, N? N. Yeah. Oh, scratch that There's whole There's an N answer. note. Is okay. that what you're saying? <laughs> scratch that whole comment. I, didn't, I don't have that on uh, my treble okay. clef or bass What clef. does it uh, signify? I do not know. Tell me. They are G-E-C. G-E-C. And they originally had significance. Tell me. G-E-C. Well, they were General short. Electric Corporation. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Ge- and General Electric owned NBC I'll originally. Be okay. So they uh, that was the signature they used was G-E-C. E-C. I'll be darned. Well, that's, that's very fascinating. And my last question is, what's the only country on record that moved from one continent to another? The only what? Country on record that moved from one continent to another. Well, gee, isn't that... Uh, how long ago? Uh, it's quite a while ago. 1903. 1903. Was it a part of Russia once? I'll tell you, it's a trick question. Okay, then tell me. Okay. <laughs> because the only place the country moved was on the maps, okay? Uh-huh. <laughs> it was Panama. Before Panama, oh. before Panama gained its independence from Colombia in 1903, the nation was considered part of South America. After independence, the Isthmus Panama, that's all they took out of Colombia, was uh, that, that Isthmus was regarded as part of Central America, which now belongs to North America. So today, Panama is considered a part of the North American continent, but originally it was in South America. Oh. <laughs> Again, a trick question. It is, it is. <laughs> well, I'm going to close with a quote uh, by one Joseph Campbell who said, A hero is someone who has given his or her life to something bigger than oneself. That's true. I like that definition. You know, not... It's better than a hero is a sandwich. That's what I was thinking the whole oh, time. Oh, for God's sake. I'm sorry, I'm hungry. That kind of humor on Memorial Day. I apologize. Just so wrong. Okay. Wrong. Yeah. I'm going to go put up the flag to make up for your... What you just said. I'm sorry. I'm going to actually go do that. Okay. All right. All right. And we want to remind you that if you'd like to send us questions, if you'd like me to stump Marsha with something, you can send a question to me and tell me the question, the answer, where you got it, and uh, where you're from, because we like to know where our our listeners are. And go to our website. Theofframp.show. Scroll down to contact us and leave your information. Well, that's it for today. We'll be back next time. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marsha Smith. Thanks for joining us here on The The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.